Good morning and welcome to WMNF's Midpoint, your midweek, mid-morning source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm your host, Shelley Rebeck, and I'm here today with our terrific WMNF operations volunteers. Jessica Green is running the sound and Barbara Fling will be taking your calls and comments. We've been following the actions of the Florida legislature for the last few weeks as they've been in session. To keep you up to date on some of the topics we've been addressing on Midpoint, Last week, two egregious bills were voted out of the Florida House and Senate and are now on their way to becoming law. The first, House Bill 1557, is the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill. It will limit classroom discussions around sexual orientation and gender identity. An amendment proposed by Senator Jeff Brandis from Pinellas County to change the language about sexual orientation and gender identity to human sexuality so as not to single out any particular group of people, that was voted down in the Senate. So the bill is moving forward as is, and it is dangerous. It provides easy access for parents to school to sue school districts who feel that their child is being subjected to so-called inappropriate topics around the LGBTQ community in school. Make no mistake, this bill is not about parental rights. It's a direct attack on LGBTQ students and their families. The only bright spot here is that seven Republicans crossed party lines to vote against it. The second bill, House Bill 7, would ban public schools and private companies from any instruction that would make people feel so-called discomfort when being taught about racism in our history. This bill is vague and overbroad, and it will limit and suppress discussions about communities of color. It is just another example of Florida lawmakers trying to limit freedom of speech and to censor important historical facts. Tragically, it will suppress the truthful and accurate teaching of history. That harms all Floridians and is dangerous for our civic life. It appears these bills will be voted into law by the legislature this week. You may wish to make your opinion known to your elected officials in Tallahassee before that happens. But today, our midpoint focus is on what the legislature didn't do but should have done. I'm talking, of course, about addressing the housing crisis. Because in the immortal words of Mr. Jimmy McMillan, say it with me now, the rent is too damn high. Remember Jimmy McMillan? In 2010, he started the Rent is Too Damn High party, and he ran for New York governor and then mayor of New York City. Saturday Night Live and our own local star, Keenan Thompson, made him a hero on TV. Well, maybe we need our own Jimmy McMillan here in the Tampa Bay region because, as I say it again, the rent is too damn high. As housing costs skyrocket in Florida, measures that aim to help tenants struggling with soaring rent hikes have tanked in the legislature. Legislation proposed by Democrats that would require landlords to provide more notice of impending rent hikes, to allow local government to impose rent control measures, and even to temporarily shield pregnant women from eviction have all died for lack of any Republican support. Over the past 20 years, Republicans in Tallahassee have also diverted billions of our tax dollars away from their intended purpose of affordable housing. And this year, their current budget includes no additional funds for a program to aid developers who build affordable housing. 
Now that we are deep into a housing crisis, it's everyday Floridians who are paying the price for Republican legislators' misplaced priorities. And it is important to remember who's responsible for where we find ourselves. But Republican legislators are not the only ones to blame. The influx of people moving into Florida has strained available housing resources. Pandemic-related supply problems have slowed new housing development. And private equity firms have descended on Tampa Bay like locusts to gobble up huge swaths of our existing workforce housing stock, only to rent it back to us at astronomically high rents. Floridians can't afford Florida has become the rallying cry of Democrats in the legislature who have urged DeSantis to declare a state of emergency and to invoke price gouging protections if landlords raise rents more than 10%. But so far, their pleas have fallen on deaf ears. Well, if you can't afford to buy, you've got to rent, right? But for too many of us, you can't afford to buy and you can't afford to rent. That's the reality right now for so many people living in the Tampa Bay area. A new Zumper report on 2022 rent prices in Tampa Bay showed significant price hikes across the board for all of the major cities in this region. For one-bedroom apartments, for example, Tampa's rent was up 38.1% compared to January 2021. St. Petersburg rental prices were rising as much as 29.6%. And overall, on average, renters in Tampa Bay pay approximately 42% of their monthly income on rent. Last Thursday, community organizers and housing activists gathered outside City Hall, hoping to get the City Council's attention. Many of them wanted the Council to declare a state of emergency, which could open up more options for rental freezes or rent caps. That didn't happen, but Tampa Councilman Luis Fiera successfully pushed for a tenant bill of rights that would prohibit property owners from discrimination against tenants based on their source of income, like disability benefits or Section 8 housing vouchers. Luis Fiera is with me today in the studio to talk about the tenant's bill of rights and what other options may be open to Tampa and other local municipalities to address what is clearly a growing housing crisis. So welcome, Luis. Thank you, Shelley. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Around 1040, we'll have someone from the Hillsborough County Emergency Rental Assistance Program on to tell us about the program, which just reopened yesterday after funding from the Biden administration came in. And a little bit later in the show, around 1050, we'll also be speaking to Carla Correa, a housing activist with the St. Petersburg Tenants Union. But let me start with Luis Vieira, Tampa City Councilman. Luis, Tell me, what is the Tenants' Bill of Rights and why was it so important to pass it? Sure, and thank you again for uh, allowing me on here today. So the Tenants' Bill of Rights for me is sort of first base into home run that we have to hit on affordable housing. And it essentially has two components. Uh, The first is very simple, which is if you're a property owner and you're renting property to a tenant, you have to give them the Bill of Rights, your assured set of rights with regards to the 1968 Fair Housing Law, with regards to habitability, et cetera, so that tenants can know their rights. As having been an individual who goes into a lot of these communities like Timber Falls and others, it, it, I think it's clear tenants don't know their rights, uh, the, these hard fought for rights. Part, second part, like you correctly said, is that it precludes and disallows a property owner from discriminating on the basis of a lawful source of income. That could be social security disability, SSI, veterans benefits, a housing voucher, et cetera. 
Uh, so this was an anti-discrimination bill. It was voted down the first time, and I brought it back because I know the hearts of those on city council that is pro-affordable housing, and with the help of a lot of people in the community, including our friends uh, from here, Liz Lanier, Donna Davis, and others from Surly Voices, uh, we were able to get it from a four to two uh, failure to a seven to zero uh, victory for first reading. So if you are experiencing your own rental crisis, tell us about it. If you'd like to join our conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. So immediate changes like the Tenants Bill of Rights and the Emergency Rental Assistance Program that we'll be talking about shortly it can't be the end of the help offered to renters. So, Lewis, is the city council looking at any long-term solutions, any long-term planning, like revising zoning and housing courts that would allow more multifamily dwellings and and things like that? What type of revisions are we talking about? Absolutely. So you have the triage effect where you have to take care of the crisis that we have right now. We have a 24% increase in rent over the last year in the Tampa Bay area. The average household seeing about $300 extra a month in uh, extra rent over the last year in Tampa Bay. We have a Category 5 hurricane, and we seem to be at the center of that storm uh, here in the Tampa Bay area. So last year in Tampa City Council, the mayor and city council voted on, I believe it was about $35 million in additional affording housing assistance, 19 million of it from pass-through grants, 16 million of it thanks to ARPA, the hard work of Congresswoman Kathy Castor and others. Um, We're also looking at right now, as as you indicated, a million dollars in additional aid that I know we're going to have some folks from the county come and talk about, which can assist for either 12 months of back rent from March of 2020 or prospectively three months of future rent. We're also going to be taking a look at additional zoning regulations. And last week in Tampa City Council, Councilman uh, Bill Carlson uh, motioned for, and I salute him for this, uh, beginning the process on an ordinance where before you raise someone's rent, there's got to be a notice period of six months declaring that there's a housing emergency and looking at the legal law measures that we can do to address that as city council. So there are a lot of things that we're doing for the triage crisis as well as for the long-term solutions. Well, let me start with the uh, the zoning type mm-hmm. of revisions. Um, some of the things that um, I've heard discussed are things like building more granny apartments or mm-hmm. mother-in-law uh, apartments, uh, more multifamily dwellings, uh, less parking requirements is a big mm-hmm. one, for example. Um, and uh, you know, one of the problems that we run into is this NIMBY philosophy, this sure. not yeah. in my backyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder wh- whether you think that this housing crisis that we have now, whether that will in any way affect um you know, people's perception of whether or not um, it's important to have these additional kinds of housings. I mean, we have so much single-family residential dwellings in South Tampa, for example, where I'm from. Um, and I know that um, there are restrictions on what you can do with your, your property. Even if, if, I, if you have like a, a guest apartment or something like that, you can't, if, you can't rent it out um, to someone without it having been rented in perpetuity yeah. for mm-hmm. like the last 20 years or something like that. Sure. Um, and I wonder whether you're hearing um, 
if people's attitudes are changing toward that at all. You know, I'll be honest, I don't think they are. I think that we had to have a, we have to have a broader discussion that when we're talking about things like apartment units, we are talking about things that are prospectively affordable uh, housing, either affordable housing, workforce housing, with the central idea that we are pricing Tampa out of the reach of Tampanians and Tampanos. If you take a look at average everyday working people, uh, people who are first responders, firefighters, cops, nurses, teachers, etc., and people who are working hard to get into the middle class, the hard-pressed poor, the working class, the blue collar. We're pricing this city out of those folks' reach for 60, 65, 70% of the city. That's wrong. We have to take a look at long-term density programs or density uh, affiliations with regards to zoning. We have to take a look at special needs, special circumstances involving things like our returning veterans. I'm working with Colonel DJ Reyes on some of those issues, uh, the head of the Veterans Treatment Court and the 13th Judicial Circuit. We have to take a look at special needs and disabilities and what are we doing to uh, encourage things like group homes etc for people with special needs etc so there's there's I hate I, I've always hated the term all of the above but with this we really need all hands on deck for things like veteran ha- veteran housing special needs housing taking a look at apartments taking a look at density taking a look at robust uh, budget uh, uh, assessments that we can have to encourage affordable housing and support affordable housing and workforce housing so we really need to have all hands on deck and that requires an activist government that is going to be active in the city, in the county, in the state. The city's there, the county's there, the state is, of course, missing in action on that issue. Yeah, one of the problems isn't, or I mm-hmm. should ask you, isn't one of the problems that the state has preempted so many yeah. uh, avenues that uh, municipal- municipalities could otherwise pursue mm-hmm. um, and really uh, made it more difficult for cities to enact things independently that would work for their city. Yes, and that's absolutely true. We see that when we uh, passed, I, I, I helped champion the uh, apprenticeship bill for uh, creating a pathway to the middle class, and they were looking at preempting us there. Thank God they didn't. Um, and you take a look at issues involving affordable housing and the capacity of local communities to address things like the, the skyrocketing increase in rent, and we have what is in fact a, uh, a de facto preemption on issues like that. But that's one of many ways in which cities and municipalities our hands are tied in terms of improving the welfare of people because Tallahassee thinks it knows best whenever it comes to uh, rebutting the welfare of their own special interests, and this is a very unique case like that. Yeah. I have a call from uh, Larry from Sarasota. I'm going to put Larry on the line. Larry's a landlord. Hi, Larry. Thanks for calling in. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to... I know rents have gotten high. I haven't spiked mine on any of my... uh, clients and friends that rent from me but you know some of the things that we run into as a landlord because property values have gone up so much we're not really sure how much our taxes are going to be the next year and then with the cost of building going up our insurance is going up as well you know replacement costs yeah a 35 percent increase in my insurance on three of my houses, and then they came back and said, well, your roofs are 14 years old. And I go, yeah, I know, they're good for 25. Well, we don't want to insure them. Let's put new roofs on. Yeah, I had the same problem myself. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm hearing that more and more. So, you know, Larry's a landlord, Lewis, and, uh, you know, he's making some good points. I, it's it's impossible to look at this rent crisis in, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, other things bear on it, like Larry pointed out, 
the insurance crisis, mm-hmm. the homeowners insurance crisis in Florida, um, that applies to landlords as well, you know, in order to protect their property. And they're seeing these outrageous hikes and these outrageous demands from insurance companies to replace roofs that are not mm-hmm. anywhere near the end of their lifespan. And, you know, how do they afford that? Well, in most cases, they're passing on the costs to to renters. Um, thanks for calling in, Larry. I appreciate your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I- I, you know, here's here's some of my costs. Let's say let's say my insurance and my taxes are six thousand dollars a year. They're they're right at uh, yeah five hundred dollars a month. That's just before I replace the refrigerator, I work on the septic tank, or you know all that. It's I don't get any more than fifteen hundred a month for mine, and I'm happy with that because I'm retired and I puddle around on it. But I'm not running it as, as a business business where I actually have somebody go out and work on them. I it's just gotten so crazy down here, and I'm at the point now where I'm just going to sell them because the market's high, and I don't have to worry about a call in, in the middle of the night because the well's not pumping and the pressure switch is not working because I can't get city water there because they don't want to run the line. You know? You're in so, Sarasota, you said, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I appreciate yeah. your perspective because you made a lot of important points. Um, Great. Thank and you. I'm glad you raised that insurance crisis because that's yet mm-hmm. one other thing that yeah. the Florida mm-hmm. legislature has not addressed mm-hmm. this session yep. you know mm-hmm. um you know they've been so focused on the culture wars that they have not they have not addressed the insurance mm-hmm. crisis which is yeah. mm-hmm. pricing so many people mm-hmm. out of you know either being homeowners or or like larry you know a landlord who's trying to be reasonable with mm-hmm. his tenants um but yet has to face these enormous increases on yep. insurance costs mm-hmm. Um, Lewis, Tampa has a comprehensive zoning plan, which is required to be updated every mm-hmm. five years, isn't it? And I believe a new plan is due this year yeah. in 2022. So how can residents contribute their thoughts to the new plan? Are there any public meetings or should they so, contact their city council person? And let me, if, if I may also answer what, what Larry said, I mean, we're, we're dealing with, like you correctly said, the post-COVID return with skyrocketing costs, et cetera. And we have a legislature that is not interested in responding to the pocketbook needs of everyday working families, Republicans, Democrats. Larry's problem is not a Republican or a Democratic problem. It's an everyday working family problem that is passed on to other working families because of the, inept- the ineptness of our uh, state legislature. You know, with regards to the uh, the planning, uh, they should contact Tampa City Council. We are looking again at a number of long-term range uh, pr- uh, uh, solutions to that. I'm very concerned with what we can do right here, right now. Uh, with regards to additional, you know, robust housing investments, the million dollars we're going to be talking about, the $33 million we passed last year, taking a look at the Tenants' Bill of Rights and different issues like that, um, the the issue with uh, six months on an increase in rent. But long term, we do have to have planning where we can encourage the kind of density, encourage the kind of affordable housing development. I mean, let's not forget that we just passed a presidential election where we had one of the two major candidates demonize demonize programs that that have housing being available for working families. To me, that's like demonizing George Bailey. My favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Remember, George (laughs) Bailey, Jimmy Stewart, worked hard. I don't know if he was a Republican or a Democrat in that movie, but he worked hard to make sure that working people like uh, Martini, the bartender, the the Italian-American immigrant, could get a house. And under that point of view, George Bailey would be demonized because he'd put Martini, the bartender, in your neighborhood. That's un-American. And that's wrong. Okay. Well, uh, you know, one of the other issues that Larry brought up uh, besides insurance um, is 
one of the other issues that I think that we need to consider um, when we're talking about housing is the lack of transportation. Oh, mm. I mean, you know, to ha- to talk about in, you know density, housing density. Um, you really want to build housing where people can get on a bus mm-hmm. or get on a train and get to work. Um, and we don't have that opportunity no. because we do not have transportation resources, mm-hmm. which is a problem. Yep. So yep. Um, I want to bring in um, some of the emails that we've gotten. Uh, David says, I recall a few years ago that there had been talk of providing some extra money for Miami-Dade County teachers because they were getting priced out of the housing market. Has there been any talk of something like that in uh, Tampa? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a great question. Talking and to goes, the microphone. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. And that's a great question. That's what I was talking about. When you're talking about first responders, teachers, nurses, et cetera, et cetera, people who are the middle of the middle class, the heart of any city, and they're being priced out. And we do need to look at unique programs that go, especially for those service, what I call the public service sector, people who go to work at jobs that are difficult, like first responders, like teachers, like nurses, et cetera, where they are serving the public. They're serving our children, our moms and our dads, our grandparents, et cetera, and to make sure that that American dream is there for them 110%. Um, you mentioned regarding transportation. You know, we live in a city with an 18% poverty rate. We're now 40% of the average uh, rent goes uh, from the uh, median income of about $54,000, $55,000. Transportation is at the center of that hurricane um, and only exacerbates a, a crisis for too many working families. Yeah, I uh, Doug has said that Florida's full. We just mm-hmm. have too many people, and uh, <laughs> we can't take any more. Uh, so I, uh, and then we have uh, a text message from a listener who says, if your insurance company tells you that your roof is near its uh, its end, spend some. He says seventy five dollars. I think it's more <laughs> than that um, on a four point inspection. Um, and if he says your roof is where it should be and it still has 10 years of life, you should get seven years of insurance. Well, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of shoulds, but yeah, not that sure. many musts. Yep. I, I have not found that to be accurate, listener. Mm-hmm. I have not found that to to uh, to work. Um, so, okay, we've got a couple people who sent us messages saying that Lewis needs to talk into the microphone, so we're going to make you. sure that I'm, that happens. I'm closer. <laughs> he's, he's very animated. Lewis is here in the studio with me, which is it, which is a treat, because for a long time with COVID, we haven't been able to have our guests in the studio with us, and uh, so it's a treat. So I can tell you that he's very animated <laughs> when, An when animated he talks. <laughs> so, um, all right. So... Um, now, Tampa ha- is getting some of the money from the Emergency mm-hmm. Rental Assistance Program, yes. isn't it? And and does Tampa is Tampa uh, have an administration of that program set up yet for people? Uh, absolutely, and I am animated. I'm a passionate Cuban American. What can I say? <laughs> but we we do. Starting yesterday, there's a million dollars that's available in funds uh, that'll go for, if my memory is correct, to up to 12 months of back rent from March of 2020 to today, up to three months of future rent and additional incidental costs. I believe involving utilities, uh, late fee uh, penalties, et cetera, et cetera, that can serve up to 100,000 households. If anybody has 
has any questions on that, call my office at, I believe my number is 813-274-7073, or you can email me at lewis.viera at tampagov.net and we can connect you to the right people. This is something that our city is doing to respond to what, again, there's the triage part of this where we have to repair and, and get some immediate remedies on that, that, that crisis, as well as long-term solutions. This is part of the immediate repair that we're looking at. So there is robust help that's available, thank goodness. Yeah, and we're going to have Angela Madero um, from the Hillsborough County Social Services Department on with us in about 10 minutes. Um, she's going to tell us about the, the new emergency rental assistance program uh, in the county, out in the county. So yep. if you're listening outside the city of Tampa, if you're listening uh, as a renter in, in Hillsborough County or as a landlord, because mm-hmm. that's one of the, the, the things yes. that... Um, mm-hmm people need to understand about this emergency rental assistance program is that landlords are critical to the program because landlords yeah. have to participate. It's not, you you just, you, they don't give you as a renter, they don't give you a check and then hope that you'll give it to yeah. your landlord for rent. This is a program where the funds go directly to the landlord who has to first apply and agree to participate, right? Yes, exactly. And I'm glad, again, that you mentioned our landlords because just like we can't forget employers when it comes to employees, we can't forget landlords whenever it comes to tenants. And we have so many landlords who have been hit hard by this crisis and, like Larry said, are passing on that additional burden to uh, tenants. A lot of people talk about you know, greed, etc. Certainly there is a part of that, but there's also a lot of landlords that are being hit. I mean, we, we, we're coming out of a two-year um, uh, a crisis with COVID, an economic crisis, and it's hit our landlords. So it's passed through misery, and we have to make sure that all sectors are remedied in that regard. Yeah. So, listeners, if you're experiencing your own rental crisis as either a renter or a landlord, tell us about it. And if you'd like to join our conversation, please give us a call at 813 239 9663. Email me at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. We'd like to hear about your experiences, too, as a renter or as a landlord um, or as a developer even, Um, you know, because this is, you know, part of the issue is... um, Seeking out developers who are willing to invest and build affordable housing, workforce housing in Tampa. That's one of the issues that also, um, are we looking at any sort of incentives from the city to make that happen? And and that's a great question. And I have a workshop in about a month. Uh, that's coming up. I, I should have the date, and I apologize for that. It's I believe it's April or May on uh, incentives for providing access for disability housing. I'm going to do the same thing for veterans. Off the top of my head, I think of Blue Sky Communities, if you're uh, aware of them. They recently built a wonderful uh, a workforce housing uh, project in the university area. They are um, a, 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 a housing developer that does exclusively Right, uh, developments that are socially conscious, that are for everyday working people, and it's beautiful uh, what they do. And we need to encourage more of that throughout our code and through city and and, uh, and county incentives. And what about you know the city owns you know quite a lot of property, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, empty lots and uh, and and some buildings. You know what about rehabbing? Uh, those buildings mm-hmm. for um, you know for housing purposes or or making those lots those city lots available for building affordable housing. That's a great question. And Chairman Orlando Goods always talks about that. Says he drives through uh, Sulphur Springs in East Tampa and sees all these empty owned lots that are owned by the city. And he goes, "Listen, that's wasted talent." I agree, one hundred and ten percent. 
that that's a, a good point. That's a, again another tool in our arsenal that we have to deal with the triage aspect of uh, of the affordable housing crisis. Yeah, you want those properties back on the tax rolls yeah. when the mm-hmm. city just owns them and they're sitting there empty. They're not mm-hmm. providing any sort of you know taxes to the city either. So uh, yeah, that's another thing mm-hmm. that um, I, I wonder you know why we can't move forward on a little quicker. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Especially now, I would imagine that, uh, you know, although with the COVID-related supply chain issues, I would imagine building has slowed down some, um, all kinds of buildings. Yeah, it's it's very, very, if you talk to builders and developers, things are very difficult. There's uh, our pipeline for development in city council under land use is behind a few months because there's so much development that's coming into Tampa, but, you know, we're only one council body, so we're actually running a few months behind. I'm trying to propose that we have an extra meeting a month for about three or four months so that we can catch up with our backlog of developments because that represents additional housing that represents jobs you know we've also got to talk about i mentioned my the apprenticeship program i'm also working on a returning citizens program for people who are leaving prison and want to work hard for their families we got to also empower everyday tampanos with the tools that they need to succeed things like returning citizens things like you know skilled trade apprenticeships as welding electrical work etc it's part of a comprehensive vision that we have to have on housing to not only provide housing but give people the tools so that they can afford that housing for their families. Yeah, and what are we going to do about the transportation that we need? Yeah, and, and and you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that this morning That with regards to the penny sales tax. I know that we're having, the county is having some town halls on that issue. Look, in 2016, when I first ran, I endorsed a penny sales tax. In 18, I endorsed all for transportation. I hope it gets back on the ballot. We need it. We are running so, I mean, I could, I'm not going to start citing stats, but we're running so far behind on transportation. And it's a crisis that most hits those, the, you know, working class, middle class, lower income families in our county. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, it's it's something that you can't talk about housing issues without talking yep. about transportation. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, these are issues that the state legislature is failing to address. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. In their focus on the culture wars, they are, you know, ignoring the needs of everyday yeah. Floridians mm-hmm. and the actual everyday problems oh, yeah. of, mm-hmm. of the citizens of Florida. So, um all right. Well, Lewis, tell me, um, is the city going to have any public hearings about these issues? Like, oh, yeah. like re, re, you know, the revision of the comprehensive plan. Are those? Is that coming up? Or so I don't. I, I don't have the date for that. I know that is coming up for us. But anybody can always come to Tampa City Council. We're on Thursdays at nine a.m. and come for public comment. Again, if you want to email me on the specifics, Lewis dot Vieira at Tampa Gov dot net, um, or eight one three two seven four seventy seventy three. I can give you the specific. But you can always come down to Tampa City Council and opine during public comment. You can either call in or you can come in person if you want to come and and speak to us on these issues. And we encourage people to come because we want to hear from the people because we're trying to be responsive to the needs of, of everyday working families in our city. All right, we've got a bunch of text messages. Let me let me bring some of those up here. Bubba says, I'm surprised you don't see more urban tent areas in Tampa like you see out west in cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco. You know, that's a good point. I have I have seen that with my own eyes. And, uh, you know, my best friend lives out in Los Angeles and says it's it's a, it's a heartbreaking, enormous crisis out there. Uh, the homeless situation, yeah. mm-hmm. people without houses, uh, living in the streets, and we, you know, we haven't seen as much of that mm-hmm. here. 
Uh, I don't know why that is. Do you have? Uh, yeah, and, and that's a good question. You know, housing, uh, homelessness is always a crisis. Last time I saw the number, and I could be wrong, we have about 1,600 known homeless individuals, roughly, um, here in Hillsborough County. The number, I'm sure, continues to skyrocket and go up. I remember visiting off of, oh my gosh, I... It's it's over on the outer edges of downtown where a property owner was selling a property that had a, a kind of a tent city here in the city of Tampa. Um, and we're working with Catholic charities and different institutions to house those people, people who are just volunteering to help um, uh, uh, homeless folks. But that continues to be a crisis, and it's always a crisis for us. But we ought to be responsive. Maverick from Brooksville has an idea. He says malls are a thing of the past. We need to repurpose them <laughs> as well as office space. And up in Hernando, it takes me three weeks just to approve plans to build. So, you know, that's an interesting point. With COVID, so many um, businesses have sent their workers home, and a lot of them are not coming back to this office space. There may well be an excess of office space that could be repurposed Mm -hmm. to housing. Very true. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. We also have one from, from Pat. Pat Fling, who says, last year the sale of houses in St. Pete were 90% all cash offers. Mm-hmm. We need to repurpose empty, block, empty blocks for affordable housing for people earning under 80% of the area medium in, income, like bus drivers and truck, truck mm-hmm. drivers and nursing assistants and retail workers. Neither the city nor the state have quantifiable unit goals for affordable housing. We need at least 70,000 units for affordable housing. Um, that's from Pat in St. Pete. Mm-hmm. Well, that is that does seem to be true. The 90% of the sale of houses were all cash offers, she's, she claims. I don't know whether that statistic is, yeah. is accurate or not, but it feels like it's oh, yeah. accurate. Yeah. Um, all right. And we have a, a message from... Uh, a traveling nurse here who says, I'm a traveling nurse, great show. I do home care nursing, and I hear stories from people who can't afford to stay here anymore, seniors who are concerned about food versus medication versus food. So I see it across the board every day, and it needs to be addressed in an aggressive manner. I had a bumper sticker that was given to me that said, leaving Florida, take a developer with you. (laughs) Sadly, I think it might be too late for that, but it's not too late to still take a developer with you when you're leaving Florida, snowbirds. Okay, well, you know, I mean, everybody likes to rag on developers, and there's plenty of reason to do so. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, we need people to invest in building this Mm -hmm. affordable housing that we want. All right, so I see that Angela uh, has joined us on the phone. I'm going to bring her into the conversation. Angela Madero is the manager of the Hillsborough County Social Services Department, and she's going to tell us about the new emergency rental assistance program that just reopened yesterday after the Biden administration funded it with what? Uh, let's find out from Angela. How much money does she have to give out? Angela, you're on the air with us. Thanks for calling in. Hi, good morning, Shelley. Thank you so much. Good morning, Councilman. Good morning. I heard I heard you speaking a little bit earlier about the program, so thank you for that and for all the positive words. Uh, the portal did reopen uh, yesterday morning. We did, um, it is the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. The county also refers to it as the R3 program. And before I get started, I just want to share the website information. Of course, we'll ask you to public. do that a couple times before okay, we let you perfect. go. <laughs> 
So it's hcflgov.net slash r3homehelp. And it has tons of FAQs on there. It has the income guidelines, which I'll go over as well, the program parameters, the requirements, the process, and the link to how to apply. We also specialized a um, call center. So we do have a call center dedicated just to this program. And the telephone number is also listed on the website, but I'll go ahead and give that as well. Okay. It's 866-375-9114. And uh, just to give some background on the emergency rental program, uh, we did, this is our second round of funding. We received funding, um, ERA 1 funding and ERA 2 funding, and the county and the city partnered uh, to administer the program through one portal, through one process, to make it easier depending, you know, just on the applicant so we didn't have to kind of go back and forth and say, um, you know, depending on you, where you live, apply through this program. So we combined the funding and put it all in one, one process. Uh, the first round of funding was roughly about $40 million, and we did obligate and expend all of that uh, close to fall of last year. And we went straight in with no break into the ERA 2 funding. The ERA 2 funding, we received about 40% of it. And we were able to obligate all of the 40% that we did receive, which is why there was a little bit of a break in the program. And uh, we received the additional 60%, which is roughly about $28 million. So I know you're really wanting to hear how much we have. It's roughly about $28 million. And uh, that started uh, yesterday. So until the, the money's out, and uh, obligated. That's what we're we're planning on doing. And roughly about uh, six six thousand to six thousand five hundred households will be able to be assisted through that funding. Wow, six thousand to six thousand five hundred households mm-hmm. can part you know participate before the money runs out. About about yes. that many. Wow. Well, that would certainly be be helpful. So um, tell us what what is the how does the program work? What is what are the goals of the program, and how you know how does it help people? Quite literally. So the the goal of the program is for um, to make sure that households can stay um, sustain stability within their household uh, by helping them with their rent assistance and also pass through utility bills. So it's not a relocation program. It is really to make sure that people are able to stay housed in their current um, housing situation. For those requirements, we are able to, based on those requirements, we're able to assist with past due rent up to 12 months and up to three months of future rent. So 15 months total with that combination for any eligible household. So is it is it a supplementary payment or is it the whole rental payment for the month? The great news is we are able to pay the entire rent amount um, that's obligated to the tenant. In addition to fees that are listed on the lease as a tenant's obligation, such as rent, uh, late fees, um, if they have a like a washer and dryer fee, a parking fee, uh, those type of fees that are listed on the lease, we're also able to pay. Wow. Okay. Now, the program p- pays landlords directly. We talked about this a little bit before, but as I understand it, it's not like you send the renters a check that they then endorse over to their landlord or put in their bank account and then pay out to the landlord. The program has to pay a landlord directly, right? So yes, we- aren't, the, aren't the landlords the ones that you really need to market the program to as well? Yes, we do require landlord participation. Uh, prior to the launch of the program, early in early March and April of last year, 
we did actually hold several landlord sessions uh, explaining to larger landlord groups and developing those relationships to let them know the importance of the program. We also just recently had another mini landlord session explaining the, the program again and that we'll be relaunching soon. So absolutely, we do encourage um, landlord participation. It is a must for the program. And uh, I can personally say that we, I, I know me, I have developed um, some relationships with landlords through this program and they are call, you know, calling, making sure that tenants are getting through and getting the assistance they need as well. You know, I have to ask, I don't know whether this is a question for you, Angela, or more for Lewis, but in a rental market where the demand is so much higher than the supply, you know, why should landlords bother with the bureaucracy of of dealing with this program? Uh, Are you getting a resistance like that, Angela, from landlords? We have. Early on, uh, there was a lot of skepticism about, um, you know, about the payment, about uh, whether they are still able to evict for other reasons for non-payment, uh, like what the terms and conditions of the program actually mean and what they would be tied to by participating in the program. But over time, uh, I think there there was a lot of um, concerns that were eased, and we've really developed some good relationships. I, I can't speak for all landlords. I'm sure there's some that still you know aren't wanting to or willing to, but we actually have eligibility specialists that when applications are submitted, we are reaching out directly to the landlord to engage them in the process. So there's several points within this program and within the process itself that we're actually trying to engage the landlord, advocating for the tenants, explaining the process to them, and kind of doing that reassurance of what the positives are for landlords, such as the direct payment to them, making the, the tenant whole um, up to you know 12 months past due, up to the three months perspective. So getting uh, their tenants to be able to not only catch up, but also maybe even be paid ahead for a few a few months while they figure out whether or not their, you know, the relationship will stay in that, in that particular lease and that tenant can, can re- remain at that house. Or maybe there's a, a plan that they're working on to where the person will be, be leaving at the end of their lease or, you know, before that, depending on the situation. So stability, I guess, you know, if you have good tenants and you want stability in your in your property, that's certainly one of the one of the reasons why landlords would want to participate. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I read somewhere that something like 75 percent of the the homes in in the county last year were sold to corporations and not to mm-hmm. individuals. Um, you know, I know private equity has come through Hillsborough County and mm-hmm. bought up huge swaths of homes and now they are the landlords for uh for a lot of this workforce housing and and uh um i'm wondering are they the type of landlords that are also eligible for the program angela or is this more of a like mom and pop landlord um you know program no absolutely this the program is geared to assist with tenants and with renters so it's as long as the tenant actually has a lease obligation, the landlord is not really the, um, it's not, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter who the landlord, the landlord is. is, as long yes. as they agree to participate. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it could be one of these, you know, corporate landlords. It doesn't need to be like a guy like Larry who called in mm-hmm. earlier with a few, you know, small properties. No, and we've actually seen a good mix. We've seen some large apartment complexes, um, and we've also had some private homeowners that rent out, you know, a, a rental property as well. So there's, it runs the gamut. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so the program just opened yesterday. I'll ask you again to give the contact information for the program, the website and the phone call in case people are just tuning in now for the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. Sure. So the county website with the information is hcflgov, that's G-O-V, dot net, slash R3 Home Help. And the call center is 866-375-9114. And I, I failed to give you the hours before. It's 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Okay, so that's the call center, too, is 9 to 5? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you have counselors available for so people who call in can be, um, you know, sort of guided through the program, given the, free, you know, they're frequently asked questions answered, that kind of thing? Yes, yeah, so the the call, the actual website has a lot of FAQs if you have some people that like to do some research on their own. But for people that need a little bit more information or need to speak to someone directly, maybe need some technical support, the call center will be able to assist them with application questions, with um, some technical issues, you know, if they're having an issue logging in, uh, you know, any kind of technical support, they're able to call as well. Well, that's that's really helpful. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for uh, being with us and thank you for promoting the uh, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program on midpoint we appreciate that and all you renters out there um or landlords um i hope you're listening and if you do you think the emergency rental assistance program will be a benefit to to you uh give us a call and let us know at 813-239-9663 email dj at wmnf.org or text us to 813-433-0885 thank you very much angela for being on the show we appreciate it and we're Uh, Glad to have the opportunity to promote the program. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. So um, um, I'm going to bring Carla Correa into this conversation now. Carla is with us. Uh, Are you on the line, Carla? Yeah, yeah. How are you? Okay, good. Thanks for being with us. Carla's with the St. Petersburg and Tampa Tenants Union. Um, Tell us about the Tenants Union, Carla. What is the Tenants Union? Yeah, so um, it's, you know, a tenant-led movement fighting for um, human right, but, you know, the human right of housing for all, you know, that's our overall goal. Um, And in the day-to-day, we organize against mass evictions, rent hikes, uh, landlord harassment, and then, of course, all around gentrification. Um, And we've been around since the summer of 2020, um, and, you know, right now our main demand is rent control, um, which I'm sure you talked about earlier. So that's pretty much, you know, what we're pushing in both cities um, and what we're seeing is most necessary here in Florida. Now, your group was uh, among other groups, but your group in particular was out at City Hall last week uh, demanding that the city declare a state of emergency with regard to rent. Uh, why were you asking for that emergency declaration? So, um, in Florida, rent control is a little bit tricky. It's preempted um, in municipalities, which means that the cities can't just pass rent control on their own unless there's a loophole, unless a housing state of emergency is declared, um, and then it would go to a ballot referendum, and um, the people of St. Pete and Tampa, the voters, uh, would get to decide on a one-year rent freeze um yeah so it would only last a year and it would freeze rent um and after the one year um we would have to get it renewed again 
um, and, you know, prove that there is a there is still indeed a housing emergency. So, um, you know, we're still trying to get through the first hurdle of getting the housing emergency declared. You know, it's clearly, you know, we're seeing that, you know, the Tampa City Council puts profits over people um, because, you know, they're they're afraid to do something as simple as declare this clear emergency an emergency because it could, you know, possibly threaten, it could possibly threaten the profits of landlords and developers. And that's who, you know, their campaigns have been funded by. So this is really an uphill battle. But, um, you know, we're going to keep fighting until we get it because this is something that we absolutely need. Well, let me let me just play devil's advocate a little bit here, Carla, because even if you got the declaration of emergency, the law still requires that there be a citizen referendum on it. And people would have to vote on whether or not they want rent control or rent freeze. And a referendum generally costs a huge amount of money in, in you know, to promote in advertising. And your constituency is, well, let's be honest, it's poor renters. So the business community would no doubt oppose it. I certainly agree with you on that. Oh, they already oppose it. Yeah, and yeah. They, but they have the ad money. They have the promotion budgets. They have the, you know, the ability to try to sell the, their position to the people who would have to vote on it. And even if they weren't successful, you still have to wait for a scheduled election on the referendum. So I guess my point is that any actual rent control relief would really be at least a year or two away from your declaration of emergency. So with all those factors against it, why why choose to advocate for this particular remedy? It just seems like it, it's, you know... Um, it just seems like the hurdles are so high and the time frame is so long that it doesn't necessarily uh, give you the relief that's that you want to seek in a in a reasonable time. Well, um, for one, they could call the ballot. The ballot referendum could be called for a special election. Um, that's not necessarily what we're advocating for. We're kind of hoping that it'll be on the November election, because like you said, it is expensive. That would be the easiest thing if it was on the November election. Right. Um, I'm sure it would encourage a lot of other people who who wouldn't normally vote, actually, to go out and vote. So it also helps civic engagement. Um, okay. And rent control is part of a larger picture that we see of taking housing out of the market, giving people a public option and the private option, you know, private uh, landlords, they need to be heavily regulated and heavily controlled because as it stands now, they have way too much power. And, you know, that's what this is about. You know, if it, you know, you're right, they would, the businesses would be putting money behind trying to take it down, but we would be putting people power. You know, we have the majority of people behind us because we are the majority. We're the working class of the of Tampa Bay. You know, we are the majority, and ultimately, um, it should be up to the, it should be up to the people of Tampa and St. Pete to decide if um, you know this is necessary. Because I think if it was put to a vote, it would definitely get passed, and it would be a huge, huge, huge thing if um, a, a city in Florida could get rent control you know that would that would enable other cities in florida to do the same thing and it would save thousands of people because 
that's the thing about this is, you know, it's not just rent hikes. It's, you know, people getting kicked out of their homes, people going homeless. Like, when we say evictions are violent, we mean that literally. Um, you know, people die. There's, it's, it's been estimated that there is an additional 10,000 deaths um, because of evictions from the pandemic. And that was, that was a year ago. So I can't even imagine what it is now. Um, well, there are a number of there are a number of um, of proposals in the legislature, all of which went down to defeat uh, recently. But they were they were proposed many of them by uh, Representative Angie Nixon from Jacksonville, who proposed a number of um, bills like uh, you know limiting the evictions of pregnant uh, women. Right, um, right. Like, uh, but now there's another horrible bill that would allow landlords to charge a monthly non. Well, I. I, I I shouldn't say horrible. There's a bill that would allow landlords to charge a monthly non-refundable fee to tenants instead of taking a refundable security deposit. And it sounds good on the surface because tenants don't have to come up with a big chunk of change up front for their security deposit. But that monthly fee could end up costing the renter much more than the security deposit since it's non-refundable. So, Carla, quickly tell me, what do tenant advocates think about that bill? And be quick because we've got to... Wind we, up here. We we agree with you. We're on the same page as you. We don't support that bill. Okay. It's not. It's not actually. That's not actually going to help renters. That's not what we need. What we need is rent control, a statewide eviction moratorium, and a massive investment in public housing. We need to guarantee housing for everyone in the Tampa Bay area. Okay. So if people want more information about the tenants union, where can they find it? Do you have a website or a meeting coming up? Yeah. Or? Yes. Tell us about so that website, quick. Yes, our website is org, and we have all of our contact info there. You can call, email, social media, any way. If you're a tenant in the Tampa Bay area and you want to fight back against a rent hike, an eviction, anything, contact us, org. And that's for Tampa tenants as well, right? Uh, we can get we can get anyone in the Tampa Bay area in touch with um, one of the tenants unions. Okay. Do you have any meetings coming up soon that you want to announce? Um, it's it's not confirmed yet. So, All right. Um, I'm sorry. Confirmed. I'm going to have to cut the show off because we even though we have so much more to discuss, NPR News is going to start in a minute. Thank you. I want to thank, thank my you. guests. Uh, Louis Vieira, Tampa City Councilman. Thank you. My pleasure. Angela Madero from the Hillsborough County Emergency Rental Assistance Program and Carla Correa from the St. Petersburg Tenants Union. And, of course, all the listeners in the Tampa Bay area who tune in every week and who support WMNF Community Radio. Also, big thanks to Jessica Green and Barbara Fling, who run the sound and who answer your calls. Um, Please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss. He's up next. This is WMNF Tampa. That was fun.